I'm Lindsay Cortell. This is Justin Fortunato, and you're listening to the TSVP Radio Theater Podcast. Emptiness is an unnatural but common state for a theater. Before the theater makers come to transform it with design, movement, and language, the stage is bare. Before an audience arrives in the auditorium, it's just an empty set of chairs waiting to be sat in. These two spaces face each other without humans to make sense of them yet. There's a sadness to an empty theatre, to its not yet being. But there's also an exhilarating sense of potential, a sense that anything at all could unfold in this space. Welcome to this episode of the TSVP Radio Theater Podcast. Today we're going to talk about performing arts, not necessarily radio theater. And we are here at Lincoln Park. How do you say, what is the official name of this place? Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center. And that voice you hear right there is Justin Fortunato, who is quite a big wig here at the Performing Arts Center, right? You make stuff happen on stage. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a wonderful team of people here to make stage magic close to 365 days a year. Wow. So one of the things that we do on this podcast, in addition to celebrating and talking about radio theater, which is that peculiar uh, genre of performing arts that really died out many, many decades ago, but is being resurrected through the magic of podcasting. Hey, we're on a podcast right here, so there's the tie-in. But we also like to celebrate performing arts, especially community performing arts. You know that those actors who are in the community often aren't paid for the work that they do, but they love theater, and they love to put it out there for the community. And to speak on that side of things also with Jason is... Justin. To speak on that side of things... Happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you guys can call me whatever you want. <laughs> so we, along with that other guy we have here, mm-hmm. along with Justin, we have Dave Halawiko, who is a community performing artist, and he's also a podcaster with us. He does the Little Beaver Historical Society podcast. So we are glad to have Dave and Justin to talk about performing arts here today. So I, I'm happy to be here. I, I actually volunteer at, at Lincoln Park as an usher, so know Justin very well. One of the things I'd like to ask you, Justin, is let's give a little history of your background in theater and how you got started and your school and everything. Sure, yeah. I, I kind of found my way into theater in a um, pretty interesting way. I, when I was growing up, I had um, really bad speech impediments, so I couldn't do my R's, my THs. So I almost failed the fifth grade because I didn't want to participate. And at that grade, participation is like 80% of what they can right. grade you on. So my uh, music teacher in uh, the fifth grade suggested that um, I perform in the spring musical, which was um, the Phantom of the Music Room, I think is what it was called. <laughs> the Phantom um, of the Music Room? And Yeah, well, yeah, it's like a Pulitzer winner. And um I got to play a police officer in it, and my, my father was a police officer. It still is. Um, and I always thought I wanted to be a cop. So I thought it would be a cool idea to be able to play a police officer. I did the performance. Um, I, I found a real joy for it, and uh, I continued it in middle school. And then in high school, um, I was fortunate enough to be in a wonderful theater program at Baldwin High School that took uh, part in the Gene Kelly Awards for Excellence right. in High School Musical Theater. Um, and I was able to get exposure through that program, decided to go to college for it at Point Park University for musical theater. And while I was in college, 
I decided that I wanted to form my own company. So me, along with um, two close friends of mine, Bob Newmeyer and uh, Maggie Carr, who's, who's now a writer and producer in New York, uh, created Carnival Theatrics, where we would do full stage musicals at the New Hazlitt Theater for the Performing Center for the Performing Arts. And that's kind of where I, I cut my teeth as a producer and a director. And then I worked um, regionally uh, in Pittsburgh and around the country as a director and an actor. And um, I got the phone call uh, about Lincoln Park. And I've been here going on about three and a half years now, and I'll be entering my fifth season uh, next year. And I, th- I think the count is I've, I've produced uh, about 33 shows here so far. Which I, is, and I think I've seen every one of them. I think, <laughs> but, me too. Uh, it, it interests me that you came on board and the first thing you did, you came to some of us long-term people and asked favorite, what our favorites were. And, and you, you sort of scoped out what actually works here and what doesn't. Yeah, without a doubt, you know, the people like you and the people that have been here for so long, that's invaluable. And, um, you know, the, the idea of community, um, you know, theater is one of the, the oldest, most tribal communal art forms there are. Anytime I come into a new space, I try to, you know, the people that really know what's going on, I always say in any theater, the ushers, the front of house people, custodial staff. Um, as well as the technicians that are in that theater. So I, I tried to get to know as many people as I could when I got here to figure out what worked, uh, maybe what could have worked a little bit better. And, and also that gives you a gauge of um, how far you can push and how far you can press. Because- right, yeah. I, I, think, I think what happens is you have to gauge the audience members that come here because we do have a lot of older people that come into the theater and some things that would work for myself and, and you will not work at Lincoln Park. Sure. Well, and and one of the ideas of what we try to do when we program a season is you want to have an offering for everyone. Right. Meaning that you're, you know, our our demographics, if you will, are forever changing. So, you know, a Broadway show, for example, your demographic are tourists from all around the world, which is why Broadway tends to lean towards the more commercial side. The, The freedom that we have here is we're able to do a smattering of shows. Where, uh, I, you know, I have these checkboxes for when we're picking a season, and I always try to do something a bit more contemporary, something a bit more golden age, and something a bit more, a bit more um, cutting edge, if you will, with subject matter that isn't necessarily, um, you wouldn't readily think a musical would be written about it. You're leading me into one of the questions I was going to ask you is, how do you and your fellow people here that pick the season, how do you go about picking a new season? Sure. I mean, it's it's a 18 to 20 month process. Uh, we just announced our 1920 season on Friday, and I've already begun working on our 2021 season. 1920. Boy, we've ventured back in time. Yeah. <laughs> 2019 to 2020. Um, so it, it takes a long time and it, it takes a long time for planning purposes, for staffing purposes, for what rights are available to us versus not. Um, and, and you really kind of have to have a crystal ball because, you know, theater is without a doubt, reflective of where we are as a society. There are certain times that people want to enter a theater and enjoy complete escapism. Then there's times where people need more of a cathartic experience in a theater where, you know, I think the world we live in and the, everything that's happening in the news and kind of the half-truths that you run into or trying to decipher what's real or not, sometimes people want to see just a true moment. And I think that's one of the most magical things that uh, live performance art has to offer. I have to admit, I mean, Midland is kind of out of the way. Uh, for most of Beaver County. Um, so for anybody to come, it's a little, little bit of a schlep, right, as they would say, but people do come to the performances. Definitely. Um, we worked the last performance of Singing in the Rain this Sunday, and it was completely sold out. 
Okay, so people are coming, they're attending, but are they, how, how are they receiving the kinds of productions that you're doing? Sure. Well, I, I think a challenge that any theater, whether it be professional, semi-professional, community, um, educational, you know, I think there's a, there's a desire to qualify things a lot this day and age. I qualify it as good theater or bad theater. You know, I've seen high school plays that have knocked my socks off. I've been to shows on Broadway that I didn't care for. I think with entertainment being so easy to grasp now with all of these streaming serve, you know, you can stream live Broadway shows at home without having to leave. So the challenge that a lot of theaters face is you have to be good enough to convince someone to leave their house on a Friday night at seven o'clock after a 40 to 80 hour work week and want to go out and spend money and spend their time in a theater. And uh, one of the things I'm most proud of since we've been here, we have our loyal patron base, but we've also grown our patron base exponentially. So what you're always trying to do is you, you, you pick shows, of course, that people recognize. So you'll pick a Singing in the Rain that Joe Schmo off the street, who's never been in a theater in his life, would recognize. You might not know Gene Kelly's name, but he'd recognize a photo of the guy on the lamppost. You do those shows and you build a loyalty with your patrons so that then they will come to a show that maybe they don't know as much about. And I always say that, those, you know, our last season's a perfect example where we did, you know, we opened our season with Mary Poppins, which is, you know, lauded as one of the best mov- Disney movies ever made, you know, off of all of the, the children's books. And then we ended our season with Ragtime, which is, a, you know, an Yale Doctor classic but not a lot of people know as a musical. And that was a, that was a sold out run as well. So what you're able to do is build that loyalty of come see the show that you're familiar with that you know, and then you'll trust us that even though if you've never heard a song from this show or don't know what it's about, you'll know that the quality will match. Well, I'm going to jump in here and, and say, and, and I'm a theater nerd, have been my whole life. I was in high school and all this. So one of the shows I saw that you did, that I really, I had seen the movie, but I didn't know much about the Broadway show, was Big Fish. And Big Fish was one of the most inspirational, best shows that you've ever done. I appreciate that. Thank you. It really was um, a fantastic message. And technically, it was one of the most over-the-top shows I've ever seen. So when you get into a show like that, I know you have a great tech crew. I mean, you know, John, your electrician, is a good friend of mine. And most, most of the crew are. Do you talk to them and say, hey, this is what we got. Can you do it? Yeah, I mean, it's never can you do it. It's how are we going to do it? I'm blessed here that we have we have a, a group of artisans. You know, we have warriors of the theater, people who um, eat, sleep, and breathe, and understand the importance of the detail work. Um, so th- that that's certainly part of when I choose the seasons. Um, I guess you know how cool can we get with what the storytelling? We try to tell stories through different mediums, whether it be the projections we use in Big Fish and the animation, or with our lighting design, or with automation. Um, or with turntables or, you know, different ways to tell stories in a new and exciting way. But that's certainly one of the boxes we try to check is, you know, uh, one of the things that always makes me smile is people will say, you know, how are you going to top that? And, you know, that's a scary thing to hear from anybody. And, you know, as an artist, you're, you're always kind of questioning, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know how. One of the ways we program out here is because we have such a smattering of different types of uh, performances are difficult to compare and they, they elicit different emotions. So I'm really looking forward to in the Heights coming up as a closing of our 1819 uh, your home season. But, you know, in the Heights will be exciting both visually and orally in ways that singing in the rain wasn't. Um, so it's always just looking for that type of um, different type of programming that kind of satiates the palette of the broadest range of people that you can. 
What, what I find interesting is, and, and a lot of people don't understand this, and Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center and Lincoln Park Performing Arts School are actually two separate entities. They are. But you have the ability, I mean, the students are your actors most of the time. Yeah, so here, here's the cool thing about it. So Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center houses the Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School. What that means is from 845 to 316 during the day, students from over 80 different school districts, eight different counties come to Lincoln Park to train in their discipline. It's not only the, the live performing arts like dance, musical theater, musicianship, regular theater, but we have health sciences, we have a pre-law program. Um, and then at 316, it turns into the Professional Performing Arts Center. So we do an eight-show subscription series. And, and one of the really cool things about it is the students from the charter school are all eligible to audition for those shows, and they get to work with professional equity and non-equity actors in these shows. So, for example, you know, if, if we did West Side Story a couple of years ago, Tony and Maria were played by high school-aged appropriate kids. And then, you know, Doc and Krupke were played by older professional actors. Or, you know, coming up with Romeo and Juliet next year, we try to choose, choose age-appropriate shows. So, you know, uh, Romeo and Juliet in the, in the original show are 14 years old. And then, you know, Lady Capulet and, you know, the, um, the Friar Lawrence and the Apothecary and such will be filled out by age-appropriate professional actors. One, one of the things I find interesting is, and Tim Hartman's a friend, as he is with you, and he's been in quite a few. Yeah, Tim's quite, one of my favorites. Quite, quite, a, quite a few shows here. And the other day when, when we, you announced the new season, Tim, Tim was part of the announcement. And I, I got to talk to Tim. He says that this is one of his favorite places to come and work because of the students. He said it's just, it, it, in his mind, it's, it's just unbelievable. And, and we both say this. We're both about the same age. If this school would have been here when I was in high school— Forget it. I wouldn't have been in Beaver Falls High School. I would have been here. Yeah, there's a magic to it. And, and you know, I, I always take great pride in that when people see a show and go, you know, I can't believe they were. I, I don't view them as kids. I view them as young professionals because right. they are. And, you know, some of these kids have already done Broadway national tours and have their equity card and have gone on to, you know, wonderful universities in the country to study musical theater. But it's, um, it's an energy that you have with this multi-generational casting we do where, you know, there's been moments where I'll see a professional actor come in. And, you know, the, the kid that's playing the lead is already off book and the professional actor goes, OK, I better up my game. So it's it's everybody making everybody else better. And, and there's a magic to that that I don't think you can find anywhere else in the region. No, I, I mean, I've done community theater and community theater is yeah, it's because you want to do it. These kids don't just want to do it. They breathe it. They live it. Well, without a doubt. And I, you know, I, I always try to spread the message to the kids of, um, you know, they care so much about what they're doing. And, and I think the longer you get into the profession, you know, if a kid doesn't get a role that they want, that hurts. And I never rob them of that, you know, and as a professional actor, there, there've been many roles that I've wanted that I, I haven't gotten, but I always tell them the stakes get much higher whenever your rent's on the line and feeding yourself and your family's on the line. Um, so, you know, I think as actors, you can kind of lose that that passion or that being reminded of why you did it. And I think that's what these kids still have so innately and in such a sincere way that they want to be here to tell stories in the best way they can. And, and that, that certainly reads in the performances. Well, I, I've directed a few shows and produced a few shows in community theater. And one of the things I tell actors, and I know I'm, you're probably the same way, you can get the lead. That's all well and good. But sometimes the character actor in the background steals the show. Well, I always, I always tell kids, you know, when you're younger, you, you want to be playing that lead role. And then Sometimes when you're working, you know, the professional circuit, you know, sometimes it's nice to be egg seller number five in the background because uh, you're not carrying it. But what I always try to tell kids and, and I tell them, you know, it's kind of that old um, phrase. If you think nobody in the world cares about you, stop paying your bills and then you'll find out that people know you exist. 
Uh, I, always, I always tell student, especially young um, student professional actors, that um, every role does matter. And if you think it doesn't, look how angry the director is when you have a conflict and you can't be there for a rehearsal. Because, it, you know, they are all cogs in the, the machine of telling that story. Well, I would always say, you know, on stage, it's a dance. It, it, the actors, I mean, if somebody's not in the right position or they're not there, it affects everybody on stage. Oh, without a doubt. And I always try to train young actors, too, you know. If I were to ask uh, the, you know, the person playing the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, what's Romeo and Juliet about? I would want her to say that, well, this is a story about a nurse that's trying to deal with a young, you know, it's, it's taking whatever the through line of the story is and finding what's important to you. Because I'm honest with kids, too. Shows that are life-changing to play roles or even, to, you know, you're not going to, every show you direct, you're not going to love. I think that's a misconception. You know, people ask me that all the time. When I choose a season, oh, you must really love that show. I love moments in every show. But um, I tell kids, young people, and, and even professional actors, you have to find the moments of truth in whatever character you're playing, whether it's one line, no lines, or a lead, and find the joy in it. Because the reality is you may be doing eight shows a week at a regional theater, and the biggest thing you do in the show is you move furniture and maybe you have a line here or there. So you have to find the joy in whatever you're doing and the truth in it. You mentioned about um, not liking shows and stuff. I'm not a big Shakespeare fan, and I know a lot of actors and things aren't, but it is, for, for somebody in theater, that is the ultimate to get on stage and do Shakespeare. Well, we were joking about that the other day, you know, uh, William Shakespeare. I don't think he's going anywhere, and, and there's a reason his work has persisted. And what's exciting for me, especially with that offering next year, is, you know, it's been told in so many different mediums and so many different productions. Um, what can we bring to it? Not, not necessarily, you know, to... To reinvent the wheel or we're going to set it, you know, in space or add any type of... No, I would pay to see that. <laughs> I, th I think the idea is just to find the truth of, of how it rings true to audiences in, you know, 2019, 2020. I think that's really important, especially to, you know, folks who perform live before an audience and come to see these live performances that, you know, what they're witnessing is meaningful to them, you know. I mean, we all want to be entertained, and we certainly get entertained with, you know, with theater. But what I find very interesting is the possibility for these wonderful expressions of the human condition. You know, all great literature, all great theater, all great drama is rooted in reflecting the human condition back to us, right? And that's very important. So I wanted to ask you, in your experience, your career in general, but also being here, do you find those kinds of engagements with the actors, the technicians, the and the audience really connecting on these human levels, uh, you know, around what these stories mean and rep represent. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, there's, um, I guess it's kind of hard to explain, but there's, there's moments that stick with me from every show I've worked on. So I, I can't necessarily remember moments from every show, but there, there are certain moments where it's kind of a confluence of everything working. And that's something that you chase as an artist that you don't always get, you know, regardless of how well a show comes off. And, and in my mind, you know, every show I look for maybe two or three moments. Um, I always, you know, there's this great quote by Peter Weir, who's one of my favorite film directors, Dead Poet Society and uh, Truman Show. And um, he would say, uh, for every moment of truth in a show, it's like wind in the sail of a sailboat. And then every cheat is a rip in the sail. So as a producer and a director, um, you're always trying to figure how many cheats can I get away with because you want to cheat as little as possible. And a cheat can mean, a, you know, a line not being dropped in and not reading right, cutting a corner on a technical element, etc. But um, one of the things I love about theater in general, it is not the job of the show to give an opinion on what the show's about. 
It's to present real people in real situations. One of the shows we're doing next season, Car- uh, Roger and Hammerstein's Carousel, is um, a tricky show in, a, in our, our age. You know, it deals with a man who's abusive towards his wife. That's exactly what somebody said to me the other day. It's about a wife beater. Yeah, you know, he, he's abusive towards his wife and um, he's trying to make money. His wife's pregnant. He's, so he, he agrees to do a robbery with a, you know, a cohort of his. He dies in the mix of it. He gets to go to heaven. He gets redemption. He gets to come back. And there's a beautiful line where, you know, his spirit meets his teenage daughter and uh, she wants him to get away from him. He loses his temper and he smacks her. And, you know, he goes away. The mother can't see him. And the daughter says, you know, mama, is it possible somebody to hit you, hit you hard and not to feel it. And the mom says, yeah. So, you know, I, you know, the show was just recently revived on Broadway. It closed last September and, you know, it, it got a lot of reviews of, you know, we're glorifying this, you know, this, this man who abused his wife. And what draws me to it is there are people in the world that are abused in relationships and there are people that still love the person that they're in a relationship with. Our job is not to say what is right versus not right. It's to say, stories that reflect what really happened in the world. And, and that, that's what really excites me about theater, being able to tell these messy kind of stories where I, I don't feel you've done your job as an artist if somebody leaves the theater absolutely knowing how they feel. I think it should be a, a confusion within you of, you know, whether it's an anti-hero or a straight protagonist or whatever, it's, it, it's making you reflect on how you view these, these problems in society. And that certainly is the hallmark of great art. It leaves you with more questions yes. about about the message. I think one of the things I found seeing the shows here is that not everybody looks at a show and gets the same reaction. Without a doubt. It, 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 to, a show can mean one thing to me. It can mean another thing to Justin. It can mean another thing to Kevin. And, and I've seen it with The Hunchback of Notre Dame when, when you did it. Everybody thinks it's The Hunchback story. It's not. It's Frollo's story. Mm-hmm. The Hunchback just happens to be there. But because of Disney and, and, and things, the, the Hunchback is the supposed star. But I'll tell you what, I came out of that show realizing it's not his story. Yeah, it, it depends where you are in your life, too. You know, I'm going back to Big Fish that we were talking right. about earlier. If, if you're a parent, you know, and, and I'm not, I, d- I don't have kids. But if, you, if you're a parent, you, you view that show through a different lens than if you're a younger person. And, and that's the other beautiful thing about shows. You can see a show when you're 20 come back to see it again when you're 25 and it has a whole new meaning to you. Oh yes, most definitely. Um, so yeah, I, that is, I think the magic of a uh, live theater. And that's why shows like Romeo and Juliet and Carousel and some of these, um, the, these classic stories that have been told some for hundreds of years keep being retold because they mean something new at every stage in your life. So before we, before we finish this, I'd like Justin to go through next season, exactly when we're, what we're doing and when we're doing. Sure. So the theme for next season. No, is- wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. What? You have questions? <laughs> all, this, all this time, I, I've had this sort of burning question. Okay, go ahead. Because we, we sometimes go there with our podcasting. Are there certain taboo topics, subjects, plays out there that you just, you want to do that have come up here in the discussion that you say, given where we are, who we are, we just can't go there? Uh, no, um, is my straight answer. I, you know, I, I'm blessed here that I have the support of a wonderful board of directors, wonderful managing director and executive team who trust me and the direction that we're taking this organization. I, I, I build towards being able to earn the right to do shows. And that right really comes from our audiences, meaning, you know, not to delve too much into it, but the way we program and the way I look at programming a season, one thing leads to another leads to another. I don't view it as pushing the pushing the idea of pushing the envelope is kind of an antiquated idea because 
one, you're never going to make everyone happy. Um, something that some people may find offensive may not be offensive to someone else. You know, uh, an example I could use is, you know, if you're doing uh, Les, Les Miserables, which was written by Victor Hugo, which was one of the greatest Catholic humanists of, you know, ever. The word shit is said in that musical. Some people could find that offensive. People find different things offensive. So I never let that be a barometer of the shows that I'm that I'm rallying to do. So pushing the limits for the sake of pushing the limits is... No, I, I, it doesn't. That doesn't interest me. What, what interests me is telling a wide range of stories. And if you've met people in real life and met different walks of people talk differently and people um, have different beliefs and have different um, ways that they live their lives. So you want to give the, the most realistic representation of the widest birth of people you can when you're choosing programming. But no, I, I would say there's nothing that I've steered away from out of fear of any type of when you're doing this type of work. You have to let go of a lot of control and put a lot of faith and trust in your patrons. And in return, it's not their job to earn my trust. It's my job to earn their trust. Oh, yeah. Okay. So with everything that I program, it's another inch forward going, take my hand and let's do the next one. I promise you're going to it's going to mean something to you. Um, so that, that's really what it is. It's trying to build that loyalty. If, if you didn't have the ability to do that, it would be doing Oklahoma and all the standards, and that's all we do. Well, sure. Oh, and that's one of the tough things, too, right? You know, if you look at summer stock theater around the country and look at what people are doing or look at look at what's on Broadway or what's out on tour, um, you know, and, and that's a big, bigger discussion, I think, for artists. What, what's a risk versus what's not? You know, you just had that really reimagined um, Oklahoma open. Um, on Broadway and, and it's had ding ding <laughs> say it by the bell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's had different um, reactions to it. But, you know, I think I think that's what's important. And the, the most important thing for me is if people are talking about it and opportunities like this to be able to come on your show and talk about theater. I think if people are talking about theater, having a conversation about the show, whether you loved it or hated it, you know, people I guess want people talking about it. One thing about Beaver County, and, and I will say this, there's a real renaissance in theater, not just Lincoln Park. We have, we have Bobcats, we have our act, we have Red Barn. And it seems like even these, these community-type theaters are, are reaching out and not just doing the old standards. I think that, that people have realized that there's a lot of good theater out there that's not necessarily South Pacific or Oklahoma. Sure. Or, so what's happened is, and I think you've, you've done it and a lot of other people have done it, is we're seeing great theater for shows that we may not even know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big believer in if theater's happening, that's a good thing. If one theater's thriving, every theater's thriving. And I'm a big supporter of making art as much as possible. And there's been a real resurgence in the past five, ten years. You, you have younger theater companies like uh, Throughline Theater, um, you know, which I think performs in the Gray Box in Lawrenceville, or the Heritage Players who have, you know, kind of moved into a new space, I think, five years ago. These theaters that are growing and forming and creating boards and telling stories. And, you know, I don't even like using the term community. I, I think all theater is community theater. Um, I've seen community sh community theater shows that knock my socks off. I've seen non-equity actors knock my socks off. I've seen equity actors that haven't knocked my socks off. Well, yeah, explore that a little bit. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your concept of of community theater i mean i use the term all the time mm -hmm. in my mind that means it's local it's uh, sure. indigenous if you will to well, the there community can be, there can be a negative connotation to it which and not among the people that work in it but you know uh movies like uh, waiting for guffman you know which is one of my favorites or the idea that community theater can't be high art you know i i, I disagree with that fully 
Um, I agree. Yeah. You know, what, you know, whether or not somebody's getting a paycheck for it or not, it's not the decider of the quality of the show. And, and I think what people don't understand too, even a show done at a small scale costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of work, you know? So even if you're doing a unit drawing room set play or you're doing, you know, um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest or, you know, whatever story you're telling and it's quote unquote small, the amount of work that goes into a small show is, is monumental. So for me, like I said, I look at good theater and bad theater and that's how I gauge it because I, I, I've, like I said, I, I've been to smaller community shows that really made me think, or I've seen a standout performance. And then I've been to, you know, Broadway national touring shows that I didn't get anything from. So it, it's just about what connection you can make with the audience member. And I don't ever not go to a community theater show because in your mind, it's not professional. You know, there's good theater and there's bad theater. Well, well, before we finish this up, I have a small story about that. So, so year and a half ago, two years ago, Justin let me produce a show here called Soldier Come Home in the Black Box mm-hmm. Theater. So as, as a lot of us do, and I'm sure you do the same thing, you always invite the writer thinking, well, he's never going to come, right? Sure. Well, he Frank can. Wicks <laughs> came, okay? Gentleman's 80 years old, has been in theater for 60 years on Broadway, you know, you name it, Frank's done it. So my little group of non-professional actors did his show, and Frank watched it, and Frank said it was the best production of his show he'd ever seen, including ones that he had directed himself. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, we did something right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, the, you're right, theater's theater. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's Joe the block layer down the street that's playing a nope. part. If you're passionate about it, it can, comes across. I mean, it, it really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about truth. And you know what it's, it's also about? It's, it's also about getting the community to come, right? Sure. And we, we talked about that, of course, um, you know, earlier. And I so appreciate this theoretical discussion of theater. This, sure. uh, I really appreciate this. So thank you for being on here. Thank and you sharing, for me. sharing that. But we're going to talk a little bit about, and I think this is just as valuable to the mix as anything else, the marketing of Yeah, of how theater. do you get people here? Yeah, that's right. And so Dave has a, a, a new guest for us, and we're going to talk a little bit about the marketing side of things. Lindsay Cortell, who is, she's an incredible young woman. She's been here a little over two years now, close to two years. And she's already kind of flipped the script on how we can get a wider variety of people into our theaters. She's the one that that has really changed marketing, and we will talk to her in a second. Hey, thanks for having me, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Lindsay, say it again. Lindsay Cortell. Good French name. Right. Yeah. I'm, my maiden name is Martin, so I went from well, very better. simple to <laughs> C-O-U-R-T-E-A-U. Well, you could have my last name, Holowico. Yeah. I, I tried to spell it the other day, your name, and I was like, up oh, H. <laughs> oh, well, you could have my name, Farkas. Well, Imagine you know, what that I, through school. Instantly, I, I was like, okay, Scott Farkas. I got it. I've got it. I'm <laughs> yes, ready. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. I never thought about that until you mentioned that. Yeah. Yes. As soon as you typed it out, I was like, okay, Scott Farkas. I'll remember his name now. <laughs> got it. I never, you know what? That never even crossed my mind until she just said that. <laughs> From a Christmas story? Yeah, from a Christmas story. Yeah. I never even thought about it. Farkas. You know why? You know why? Because I went to school with his cousins, and and there's only 9,000 Farkases in Beaver County. Yeah. But only one Sid Farkas who sells bras on Seinfeld. (laughs) That's true. you remember that? Is that that a relative, too? Sid Farkas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sid Farkas. And you lived in New York City, so I I can imagine people saying, yeah, Farkas, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a common name. So, Lindsay, as I mentioned, 
marketing is just a part of this game, right? Uh, that's a weird way to put it, but yep. it is essential to reaching out, you know, to take this work that Justin is doing and the cast here and the crew here, reaching out to the community, advertising it, get it together, right? I'm not a business person, so I really can't d define what this marketing thing is really about, especially in this space. So that's why we have you on here today to, to share that idea with us a little bit. Right. Well, one of the things that you'll see that our season this past year was entitled Your Home. And we wanted people in this day and age, there is so much vying for people's time. You can be at a sporting event. You can be at the movie theater. You can be at home on your couch watching Netflix. Everything's accessible to people on their phones at all point in time. So we wanted them to see Lincoln Park as an extension of their home, that they feel comfortable here, that they're coming out to experience live performance art because it's different than watching it on the TV. You know, you need to experience it and feel what the, is coming off the actors and the characters on stage. And so our themes often for the season are one of our main things to draw people in. So your home, this is an extension of your home at Lincoln Park, your home. Um, this upcoming year, it's live in the moment. Because like we, Justin said, there is something about entering a darkened theater and just escaping from the connection to social media, the connection to the world, and just living right there in the moment. And so when we look at our marketing, we look at everything we're doing from the standpoint of our season theme, um, but also that we want it to be an experience for people so that it starts as soon as the flyer hits them in the mailbox to them getting an e-blast, to them following us on social media, to them seeing a commercial on, we did this year on KDK, WTAE, WPXI, to a billboard in Robinson that they just happened to be driving by. Oh, I've seen that billboard. Yes, yes, we had Singing in the Rain up there, and In the Heights will be back on that same billboard um, leading up to the show. But um, that everything is an experience, and that it all connects people. So they might have just quickly seen our billboard, but then they're on social media, and all of a sudden our ad is following them on social media. And so then they come through the doors for Singing in the Rain, and as soon as they enter the atrium, they see our step and repeat that has the iconic um, lamppost with the umbrellas that they can pose in front of. They walk over to get a coffee in our cafe, and we have umbrellas hanging in the cafe. And then they enter the theater, and they see the iconic dance numbers. They see the rain on stage. And so then when they leave, it's something they're talking about to people. They're sharing the post after opening weekend to their friends, to their family. And so that everything is an experience, that it's not just a, oh, yeah, let's go check out that show. Okay, that's all it was. That it's an experiential event that everything ties together. Wow, this is this is way more complicated and sophisticated than I ever really imagined. Do you have a background in this? Are you a trained marketer? Well, you know, my my degree is in marketing. I went to Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania um, for marketing and communications. I've been there. Um, most people, I've been there too. The people who don't know Williamsport, I always say, home to the Little League World Series if you haven't been there before. So, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things, and, and I've been here... I think this is my sixth year ushering. So Lindsay, Lindsay just came on board, what, two years Two ago? and a half years, yes. So what I can tell you has changed in, in the marketing plan is it's more community-oriented. She mm -hmm. comes to Darlington. She sends people to Darlington Day. She sends people to Beaver for their festivals, which was never done before. Right. It, it was not – it was sort of like and, – and I will tell you a story, and this is just my own personal experience. It's about, it's about community theater. Until two years ago, none of those community theater people had ever stepped foot in this place. Okay, because it had this reputation of being snobby and we don't want you. And mm -hmm. but you know what? They come to every show now. They do. We have a great following, a group that comes. And so one of the things that we've done, we've now grown our marketing team. I have uh, two part time associates that are in charge of different 
counties and territories for group sales. And so we've kind of split them up to send them out into the community. One covers Allegheny and Washington, and one covers Beaver, Butler, and Lawrence counties to go out to the events. Because my job prior to coming here, I was the development and event planning coordinator for the Beaver County Chamber of Commerce. So my passion lies in Beaver County, Beaver County events. How do we get people out? How do we get people supporting quality of life in Beaver County. And um, so when they hired me for this job, that was the reason they saw that I had the connection and the passion to get people through the doors, you know. And my thought is, as he mentioned, as Dave mentioned, that we are out at Darlington Days, we're at um, Beaver County Book Fest, we're at all the libraries, we're doing different events in the community. Um, We were just at Blackhawk School District's craft show that they had. I had a table in front of which flavor and beaver that if I want these people to support us, I'm going to support these people in the community. So I'm going to come to you. And if you're going to come to me. Right. And what happens, what happens is you're seeing people that aren't theater people. Right. And they're saying, well, yeah, I know about that show. Maybe I'll go see it. Right. And once they walk through this door and I've had this and, and being an usher, as Justin said, we hear the comments from patrons and stuff. People say, my God, if I'd have known this was here and it was like this, I'd have been here a long time ago. Right. You know, to be in existence for 13 years and still have people in the county have not been through our doors to me is mind boggling. So I want to change that. I want the people to come through our doors. And um, coming from a chamber background and a nonprofit background, I know that prior to the chamber, I worked for McGuire Memorial Foundation and the American Cancer Society. So I'm used to working for a nonprofit my whole life. And um, I know that it's all about partnerships. I know that it's all about community. And so it's working together with our community members, with our small businesses, with our big businesses, with our sponsors. Chris Shovelin is our um, community engagement manager, working with him on who he has at the sponsorship level. Okay, how do we work with them to get more people through the doors and really getting our name out there, not just as, hey, this is the show we're doing, but hey, did you see Lincoln Park was at um, Darlington Days? You know, it was really neat that they were out there and supporting her. Hey, did you see that Lincoln Park had a table at the Senior Center at the mall? The third Thursday of every month, we have a table at the center at the mall. And we just go and promote our shows. And if someone wants to buy a ticket, they can. But we're just there um, to get our name out there. And we'll take, you know, now we've created that we know these tables can't just be a flyer. We'll take... Um, word searches that we make up specific to whatever the upcoming shows are, coloring sheets if it's a kid's candy event, candy for the candy, old people, yes. candy, giveaways, any little tchotchkes or things that we have, you know, just to whatever we can do to promote the shows, to promote Lincoln Park, but to promote this idea that it is an experiential event and that we want it to be about community and we want to work together to move the arts in general forward in Beaver County and the tri-state region. When Dave and I talked about having you on here to talk about exactly this, you know, marketing and the importance of, of what you do, uh, something occurred to me. This, I'm going to preface this a little bit. So a lot of what we do is about public history, and that just means everything that is public-facing, you know, that the public sees, uh, museum exhibits and history podcasts, you know, which we also do. So when I, okay, I'm coming down here at Lincoln Park. So I did a little research, you know, on the internet. I'm Googling around. and, and So everything that I saw was, I think, in some way, the work of you marketers, right? Whether, whether it's, um, it's artwork for a show or it's a press release or it's an ad somewhere, a marketer was behind that. So it occurred to me that if you look back in theater history, 
Google, Singing in the Rain, for example, you're going to come upon a poster. That poster has the hands of the marketing team that was for that the, uh, that theatrical production, whether it was Broadway or it was you know film, Hollywood. Uh, so you guys actually do. I don't know what you think about this or not, but this just occurred to me that you guys actually are doing historical work by creating all this presence, right? This media presence around this activity. Uh, and I just think that's kind of significant. And, and without that presence, you could have a great show and nobody's going to come because they're not going to know it's here. Right. And we have a we have a great um, graphic designer on our team. Uh, Nick Franzak is his name. And he does all of our graphic design work. So anything you see um, designed, he has helped put together. There are logo packages that come with our licensing for the shows that we do have to use some of those. But some are original creations by by Nick that then... Justin and I sit in on, we have brainstorming sessions. We like this. We don't like this. Let's change this. You know, down to from a, what font do we use for our branding from the Lincoln Park standpoint to what font do we use for the season? So it's the brand for the season. You know, you'll see this next season is live in the moment um, and the neon theme. And, you know, it all ties together with our end of the year show next year, Memphis. And so it'll be branded that same way through the whole entire year that everything we do centers around that theme. And as we sit here, you know, we're sitting on the mezzanine level here at Lincoln Park. You know, we're surrounded by pictures from previous shows. You know, it even comes down to the aesthetic when you're in the atrium, when you're in the theater. What do people see? What are they looking at? That everything is consistent with your brand and the messaging that you're putting out there from the individual small social media posts that we do to the artwork on the walls to the program that people get when they walk through the doors to the magic that happens on stage, that it all goes together and fits the same brand, fits the same messaging. Justin always provides me with any information from their production meetings. So I know, hey, they're doing this. This is going to be a great tidbit for you to release for marketing. You know, oh, there's this many light bulbs used in the show. Okay, great. How can we spin that into our marketing? You know, what are people going to want to know about it? As we sit here with Lindsay was saying about the, the photos on the wall here, for the first three and a half, four years I worked here, these walls were blank. It was, I mean, you come up here, it was a boring space. Now, it's good for me because I see people that became my friends. I, on the wall, I see Ian Patterson right there. And Ian was in one of my shows and Ian's a friend. So people, and people do look at them. I mean, they come around, they look, well, I remember that show or I think, and, and I think, I think this is part of marketing too, because it shows what we're capable of doing here. Yeah. So long after closing night, long after the lights go off and long after the memories that people carry away from being in the theater, long after those fade, your materials, the effects of your world will remain. Right? These photographs here on the wall are a testament or, or, or you know, give, bear witness to the work that's been done here. Well, I'll tell you what, I have one of every program of every show I've ever worked. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm not the only one. People, theater people do that. We collect programs of shows we went to. Oh, you know, and let me let me say this. Uh, so I was writing something about public history. I do these uh, critical, kind of edgy uh, blog posts about public history. Get myself in trouble with those things. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I recognized the other day in writing a post was that as important to all of us who do this kind of work, uh, those people who support this stuff, whether it's a patron, sponsor, advertiser, are as valuable mm -hmm as the performers are on the stage, because if ain't without the coin, right, this, this stuff ain't going to happen. So you do a lot of that connecting. You do a lot of that outreach with the people who want to be underwriters and supporters and advertisers around this world, right? Yes. 
How does that interaction go? You know, it, it really depends. And, you know, um, Chris Shevlin, who I mentioned uh, earlier, he handle, handles all of our sponsorships. But one thing that from my standpoint that I've tried to do as the marketing manager here is I want to be here for opening night. I want to be here for the shows. I want people to meet our staff, you know, and make the connection of this is our marketing team. These are the people who are, you know, you're seeing the ads, you're seeing, these are the people who are doing the behind the scenes work and make that connection. Because as Dave mentioned, you know, that's where I'm going to hear what's working for people, what's not working, what they like, what they don't like, and hear suggestions or ideas and feedback that then we can change things. Because if we're not hearing from our patrons and we're not hearing from our ushers and our volunteers, we're not able to move forward. You know, there's no way to move forward without hearing feedback from people. And really trying just to have an overall presence of, you know, we're here too. You know, we support, I support this place just as much as a patron as I do as, as an employee. I can honestly say, I do not even know who was marketing before you came on board. I have no idea. I don't think we ever met them. I don't think they ever came to a show. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, and if they did, it wasn't brought to our attention. You mentioned something to me the other day. If you see anything or hear anything, let me know. Mm -hmm. Unless you know what's working and not working, and again, as an usher, I do hear the comments, more, probably more so than anybody else. Judy, you know, who's house manager, hears them too, because we're the front line to the people that are seeing the show. You can do all the work, and if you're not here, how are you going to know what, what worked or didn't work? You know, and from our executive team down to, um, you know, our marketing team to our box office staff, everybody is fully supportive. We're all at as many shows as possible. Um, you know, we're all attending the attending the events, you know, um, because this place is important and art is important and accessible, affordable arts entertainment in the region is important. So from, you know, what Cent um, Center Theater Players is doing to what our act is doing, you know, it's so great to see a resurgence and to see people out there supporting the arts. And for me, to see arts, you know, center theater players, I'll mention specifically that they are, I've seen their um, social media campaign ramp up recently. Anything that another, like Justin said, another theater is doing, it's helping other theaters as well because it's getting people talking. It's getting people talking about the art. It's getting people talking about, did you see this show? Hey, did you see that show? The arts in Beaver County are sort of changing. I, I've been involved for, in, we'll call it community theater, which it is. And it used to be that you didn't have actors and directors and stuff crossing over from one group to another. It was sort of tribal. Mm -hmm. It was like, I belong to our act. I can only act in our act. I can only direct. That's changed because I think everybody's realized that, as, as Justin said, theater's theater. It doesn't matter where you do it or who you do it with. It's just, let's make good theater. And now we have groups like our act and we have other, you know, Beaver, Bobcat players coming, coming to Lincoln Park to see shows. And what it does, in my mind, it gives people ideas. Well, Lincoln Park did this. We may not have the money to do it like that, but we can do it. You know, and I think just across the board from, um, I know we're talking specifically theater, but the arts in general, um, we're, Lincoln Park is sponsoring CCBC's Evening of the Arts that is tomorrow evening. We're one of the sponsors at it. So we will be there with a table with presence. Batcat Press, the only student-run press in the country from the Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School, they will be there as well, supporting CC CCBC and the arts in general at this event that they're having because arts and education is so important in this area. And to be here and being the premier destination for all of that is incredible. So as much as we can be out there supporting other arts in the area, um, we're going to be there. Well, you not only support art, as I mentioned before, Justin let me do a show here that benefited Little Beaver Historical Society. Right. Didn't charge us a dime to use a theater. We used a technical crew, the whole deal. 
all the money we made for that show came to us. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is great community engagement there. So we talked about, you know, I mean, obviously you, you love your job. You're very good at your job. What do you hate about your job? Come on, <laughs> be honest with it. I have two young children. So I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, two daughters. Because this is so accessible and the lights are always on, I think sometimes just my time away from my family. But I also know that they are very, very supportive of family. Stephen Katanzarit, our managing director, if you need time for your family, you, you've got time for your family. So I think that's self, self brought on that I, because I like what I do, then in turn I've created what I don't like what I do because. <laughs> do, do you get, and, and I'll ask this because I get it. Do you get the, uh, well, you're from Lincoln Park well, out, in, out in public? Yes, a lot. I get it because again, I'm not sure. I'll either get you're from Lincoln Park or you're from Little Beaver Historicals. You're the history guy in a, I mean, people don't mean to do it. You're out with your family or whatever, but they approach you. I know they do. It's like, it's like being a star. <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever call myself a star. My, my husband would probably say, oh my goodness, you know everybody. <laughs> After this podcast, you're going to be a star. You're going to be famous, more famous. I'm normally behind, not on the microphone and behind the camera, not, not being uh, out in the front. So, Thank you so much for sharing your world with us here. No problem. This is the, really the first time on our podcast we've had a chance to go into that realm of you know behind the scenes the 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 marketing the advertising side of things and yeah we always think technical we always think actors but you don't you don't realize that the the ticket sellers and the ushers and the and the advertising is all part of this it doesn't exist without it that's right gonna wrap it up there I want to thank Justin Fortunato and Lindsay Corteau of Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center. It was an interesting episode and I'm sure everybody's gonna learn some things about Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center. Thank you for having us, and we are uh, excited to hopefully have you guys back in the future. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. I grew up in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. I went to high school at Baldwin, Baldwin High School, and then... Oh, yeah, I know Baldwin. Sure. I went to uh, Point Park. I graduated in 2011 with my BFA in musical theater. Awesome. You know Chris uh, Rawlinson? I do. Yes, Chris is a friend of mine. Uh, he's a great guy, and I love his wife, too, Mary, and... They, they're, that they're could great. be complicated. Yeah, sure. How would he do? <laughs>